listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. The third part of our series, Church in the Wild. Are you excited about today's message? Yeah, I know that you are. Uh, today's message is, is going to be encouraging to you. I believe that. Uh, if you're watching online, make sure to hit share. Every time you do that, an angel gets its wings. And uh, also, if you're in the room right now, take out something to take notes on. Something. And uh, we take notes. Why? New Chapel, we believe God has something to say to us. And we don't want to leave here just shaking our head and give the preacher good hearing. God wants to speak to you. It's not so important what I say. It's important what you get out of today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6. I want to read for you a passage and give you a principle, like typical Pastor Joe style. And then we'll get into uh, some application of all of that. This is what it says in Daniel 6. The Bible says, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and other leaders by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Uh, maybe you have King James or New King James, and it says that he had an excellent spirit about him. That's a great translation. But it's interesting that Daniel distinguished himself. He separated himself from everybody else in, in how. It wasn't on how he dressed. It wasn't in, in his great pedigree. How he distinguished himself was with exceptional qualities. And during this month, we've been talking about some of those. Today, we're going to talk about, I mean, an incredible one, but, but listen to me. These don't just work for churches. These work for homes. These work for businesses. These work for families that are trying to get back on track. When you, when we, when you make the decision to go on God's track of doing things, his, his way, his standard, God will bless you indeed. Somebody say amen. And so we've talked about how uh, we're in a wild culture, how the world has done lost its mind. Now that is West Virginia speech, but it's good preaching. And the world is crazy. But at the same time, as, as they're being wild in their way, I believe God has called his church to be wild, to not shrink back from the darkness and run and hide, but be those in the midst of all of the darkness, the, the wildness of the world, and be a church that's wildly on fire for God. Can I hear an amen somebody? And so the idea with today, and today's message title is this, Wildly Empowered. That's the dream that I believe God has for his church. You know, I grew up, uh, and, and many of you did, I'm sure, in an environment, a church environment especially, where it was really all about the dude, right? Like it's what he wanted to do. And uh, that was certainly so when I was younger. It was on steroids at the place that I rededica rededicated when I was 17. I mean, this, it, was, it was like the genius and a thousand helpers. It was all about what was happening at the very, very apex. And, you know, there were some empowering people that were at that church that got beside me and helped me and sewed into my life. But the overwhelming arc of it all was really, we were there to serve his vision and what he had to do. And, you know, if you think about, you know, a lot of things back in the day were like that, whether it be a coach or a school, something uh, of a workplace, it was all going up to the very top. And it's like, whatever Head Fred says, that's what we're going to do. And I'm not diminishing having an authority structure, anything like that, but I learned a valuable lesson at the church that I rededicated at. There's a difference in between being authoritarian and being an authority. And so we have to realize that God wants to empower us. 
I want to give you some context on why people elevate uh, the man of God. They elevate preachers and other people on a, on a pedestal, and they actually diminish themselves. In the Old Testament, God was establishing the nation of Israel, and how he did it was with a family. Uh, there was a dad. His name literally was Israel, and he had 12 sons. And within there, you've got Manasseh, and you've got the Levite. It was Levi, but it became Levites. Those 12 sons became the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the third-born son was Levi. And God said, I'm anointing this man, Levi, and his descendants as the priests. So it doesn't matter if you're an introvert, extrovert. It doesn't matter if you're Michael Corleone or Fredo in the family. You born, you're the firstborn male, you're going to be the priest. And so the priest was this link, this mediator between God and the people. And the people would come because they had sinned. and They'd be like, I need help. And so the priest, he'd go back. He'd make uh, sacrifices for the people. He'd come back and be like, you were a bad doobie. I made the sacrifice. You're all right. You're all right, but you got to go do this. Act, act right. You know, don't smoke, chew, or go girls that do. You know, get out of here, you know. And that was the mediator between God and man, the Old Testament priests, the Levites. Now, here's what's interesting. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he's very submissive to the authority of his day. He goes through a rabbinical school. He goes to Bet Shefer, Bet Midrash, and Bet Talmud. He graduates as a rabbi. The ceremony of graduation was baptism. When you were baptized, you'd want to be baptized by the highest in. I mean, you want to have another famous celebrity preacher in to baptize you. Jesus gets John the Baptist wearing camel hair and eating bugs. And so Jesus gets baptized as a rabbi, and he begins to go out there, and who does he go after? Not the creme de la creme, not the apex people. He goes after common, normal people like you or I. He goes after normal people. In fact, when he gets around normal people, he really upsets the religious leaders of the day because he starts saying things like, hey, normal people, you're the salt of the world. You're the light of the world. How could we ever hide that? God wants to do things through you individually. Do you know what really got them upset? It was one of the reasons why they crucified him. is because Jesus, he actually called God by Father, not just God. See, Jews were so holy, they wouldn't even write the name of God. It would be G slash D. It was such a holy thing, they didn't even want to mess with it. And, and they say, hey, Jesus, how do we pray? And he says, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. So Jesus completely kicks at religion, kicks at the status of the day, and he starts to empower normal people. Amazing, groundbreaking. Well, that's the reason why he got crucified, because that wasn't popular with the religious authorities of the day, but it was groundbreaking. So he goes through crucifixion, he raises from the dead, and before he ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples, those people following him, which are now hundreds of people, you go wait in the upper room not long from now when Pentecost comes. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. God will pour his spirit out. So he ascends up into heaven. Here's what's interesting. Day of Pentecost. Who was there? High priests, religious leaders, normal people. And in fact, there were several hundred people that heard him say it, but only 120 that actually stuck around and went to the upper room and, and, and sought God. And so really, this is a whosoever will type situation. If you want God, God's there to give himself to you. He, he loves you and wants that relationship. But it's very interesting. It wasn't just on the religious leaders. And in fact, it wasn't long from Pentecost where 
The Holy Spirit being poured out on holy Jews was now being poured out on Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people, non-Jewish heritage. That's you and me. And so it went worldwide. It was a movement. And within a couple hundred years of the resurrection of Christ, religion had already begun to come into the church. You had men that tried to divide people away from the Bible. It, it, things really became convoluted. They started to use terms like clergy and priests. They resurrected the word priest again from an Old Testament doctrine. And clergy, it's interesting. Uh, how many of you guys have ever heard that word, clergy? You know, it's, are you a man of the cloth? Are you clergy? And I will tell you, the only time that I allow anybody to call me clergy is when I go to Butterworth Hospital because I get a better parking spot. Just to be honest, that's the only time. And you need one when you go there. Clergy, literally, you look it up. It means this is the person who knows what's going on and the rest of these people are idiots. That's almost, I mean, just brass tacks, that's what it means. And so clergy begin to take the Bible out of people's hands, wasn't explaining it to them. They held it back. It's actually where we get the word clerk from. If you have any kind of municipality, a town or a city, they'll have like a, you know, uh, even our county has a county clerk. Well, in that case, that word clerk comes from clergy because the clergy took the Bible away. They were reading the Bible. They were taking notes. That's clerical work. Make sense? Now, while all of that was happening, they created a word called laity. That is, there's preachers, and they are clergy, and then you have the laity, which literally means all the other dummies that don't know what's going on, anybody that's not clergy. And so it, well, it actually literally means common person, but that was a Pastor Joe translation. What is it? It's an elitist paradigm. It's an elitist paradigm. And, and, and guys, nothing in the Bible supports any of that. Now, let's flash forward. There's always been pockets of, of people that were really doing it well, but it just so happens that the people that were doing it backwards from what the New Testament would convey had really good records. So history is a little bit difficult to do the archaeology about what was going on in different pockets of Christianity in the world. But in the 1500s, there was a group of men that got the word of God and were able to read it, and they read the just shall live by faith. They read something that was huge, they, they read the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Now, I was raised a good Baptist boy, and I don't know if you knew this, but the word Baptist is an acrostic. It is. The P in Baptist, B-A-P-T-I-S-T, is the priesthood of all believers. At the time, they called themselves Protestant uh, they were in the Protestant Reformation. And, and let me address this for a second. People have asked, Pastor Joe, are we a Protestant church? Let me help you. Protestant means that they were protesting things that were going on in their church and that they were trying to reform it. I'm not trying to protest any other churches. That's those guys out of Kansas making a stink at everybody's funeral, right? And I'm also not trying to reform a church that I came out of. I'm, I would say we're non-denominational, and I would say we're evangelical. We're right with Franklin Graham, everybody, and Jensen Franklin, and, and a lot of other wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I hear an amen? But here was the idea. These men begin to get the word of God in the hands of normal, everyday people. And they begin to realize that whole concept, priesthood of all believers, that you can have God in you, that you can have a relationship with him. You don't have to go to some priest or cleric to, to talk to God for you. You can stand before your God on your own. Can I hear an amen? Now, what's interesting is, before then and after then even, the church of Jesus Christ has wrestled 
with this whole concept of who is the man of God. It's one of the reasons why you call me the minister here. Now, where are you going? Who's the minister there? We get our terms kind of messed up with all of that. And for too long, the church has done it completely backwards from what the Bible conveys in the New Testament. You have a whole bunch of congregation people, church members, that they, they want to come in and they want to lead. They want to make all the decisions. And then they want to hire their pastor to go out there and do all the ministry. I'm telling you, you can't make a case for it. You read through the New Testament over and over again. God has given the fivefold ministry gifts, your pastor, to help lead the church, and he's given you as a saint to the work of the ministry. Is it any wonder why we can't take ground when, when you want the Great Commission to be on this mug? I mean, that's a lot, but all of us together. So what do we need to do? We need to have our preachers stop doing all the ministry, aside from their, just as a Christian. We need to have the ministers, the pastors, the preachers start to lead, and we need the congregations to begin to do the work of the ministry. And then, my friend, we'll take ground like we never have before. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, when we launched New Chapel, I tried to convey this thought. We had seen this happening in other areas of the country, and it was making their churches explode, and not just for numerical reasons, but because we need revival. And so I remember sitting down with the launch team and trying to convey these thoughts, and they're looking at me just as blank as y'all are looking at me right now, just to be honest. They're like, well, what do you want us to do? Well, let's talk about kids' ministry, right? We're getting ready to launch this church. How do we have the best kids' ministry in the whole world? How do we do it? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I didn't ask that. What do you think would be good for check-in? What kind of curriculum should we use? Whatever curriculum you want to use, Pastor Joe. Look, I'm not Eddie Murphy. Can we just figure this out? Like, a, like throw me a bone. I don't know what to do. And trying to get people to get off from this idea that the holy man of God knows all the answers for everything. Listen, I have vision more than your average bear. But I need yours. I need your gifts and your talents, and together, that's how we're going to do it. And it's so important, isn't it? Thank God that God sent us the people that we did, and we built an incredible kids' ministry. In fact, the, the most important thing we have going on on Sunday morning is back there in kids. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that we together can make that influence, but you can't discount yourself. Now, I'm not discounting myself to try to elevate you. I know who I am in Christ. I, I know that I am a man of God, but I've come to believe this. From my study of the Bible and also from being around town for a little bit, the big man of God is not the guy who's the genius with a thousand helpers. The big man of God is the guy who's empowering or the girl who's empowering the most other people to do what God has called them to do. Can I hear an amen, somebody? That's it. So I get that I'm pastor. I get that. But that means coach. That means team leader. It means that on Sunday morning, I'm going to give you some fresh news from heaven. And then it's like, as you go, preach. Yeah? That's the idea. That's why we do that, by the way. And so we've got to get our, our, our minds really wrapped around that whole concept. Now, when 2020 happened, a lot of you came back to church and, and welcome home. And still, I know that others are on the outside looking in. You're watching online, or maybe you're a family member of somebody who's in the room right now, and, and you're encouraged, and you're listening, and, and you're ready to take a next step, maybe, you know. But then there's a whole other group of people that they're on the outside looking in, and they don't want anything to do with church. 
And that blows my mind because, not because I was raised in church, but because I've, I've found church to be this beautiful place where some of the best things in my life have ever happened. I met my wife in church. She was serving her dad's kids' ministry at the check-in. And little 17-year-old Joe Bevilacqua kept on going to that check-in counter, even though I didn't have any kids to check in. <laughs> Smart cookie, you know? My kids, I mean, within seven days, but some of them as few as two days after being born were in the house of God. My closest relationships in, the, in my life, the people I trust the most, they're in this place. I love it. And I don't always understand why, but as I was praying about it this week, here's what I've, I've kind of come to the realization, is that people don't like church. And I even put it this way. People don't even like God because they have an incorrect view of church or God, right? This is very profound. In fact, I like to say, if it's going to be a profound statement, so you know to give me a good response, okay? Very profound. <laughs> how you view something determines how you interact with it. If you view God as angry and severe, you're, you're going to relate to him like that. If you view the church as judgmental and hateful, I know some of y'all have legitimate stories, legitimate. I'm not discounting any of that. I'm just saying that the Christian faith is much broader than that awful experience you had, right? And so we have, to, we have to have the right viewpoint on all of this. And really, we need to give the world a correct viewpoint on all of this because the way that you view something is the way that you interact with all of it, whether or not it's based in reality. Check this out. Proverbs 23 and verse 7. I want to read this for you. Proverbs 23 and verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Just whatever you think about it. Colossians 2, 8, I believe it is, says that you can be robbed by the deceitfulness of your mind, that, by, the, by, the, by the traditions of men. You know, instead of, instead of saying, hey, pastor, I'm struggling with the scripture, I can't tell you how many times somebody's come to me and said, Pastor Joe, listen, I just don't believe that way. I love the worship. I think you're funny. Great message. I learned a ton about the Bible. I grew more as a Christian than I ever did. But listen, there's just this one thing kind of, you know, so I don't believe that way, so I'm out. Well, how do, you, how do you even talk to somebody like that? As a man thinks, so he is. The way he's approaching this thing has nothing to do with even the Bible. It has to do with his beliefs. And it's elevated high above the Bible then, isn't it? What? We can't do that. We have to agree on the word of God. And so listen, these things that we have in our mind, they don't have to be real. It just has to be the way you see it. Now, Jesus had to deal with this very problem in his ministry. He's uh, taking his disciples on a walk. They're actually going way out of the way to an area called Caesarea Philippi. And he's preaching his new series, if you will, on being a grassroots movement of people in relationship with God. He didn't say so much, but you'll read it in Mark 8, verse 27. The Bible says this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked, who do people say that I am? Very profound question. And so what did they say? Some replied and said, John the Baptist. Uh, the reason why is because John the Baptist preached to 700,000 people live. And back in Bible times, you know, it was, was kind of like Barney Rubble. You know, you couldn't engrave somebody's face on a poster, you know. So they'd never seen him, but they had heard about him. So they said, some people think you're John the Baptist. Other people think that you're Elijah. Why? Elijah was the Old Testament character that never died. He went on a stroll with God and, and just went on to heaven. We believe that he'll be back shortly. And still others, they say that you're one of the prophets. Very interesting what Jesus says, verse 29. But what about you? 
I want to just pose that to everybody in the room because it is individual and he makes it that way. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter pipes up and says, you're Christ, son of the living God. Very profound. But what about you? Your view of church, your view of God determine whether or not this whole church thing is going to work for you. That's how powerful your beliefs are. I'd align them with what God's saying. And so what I am committed to doing, what, what, what my wife and what this church is committed to doing is showing you the best possible picture of who God is and who the church is meant to be in your life. Can I hear an amen? And here's why. Write it down or maybe take a picture with your phone. We cannot be empowered with a wrong view. How in the world are you going to be empowered by the Spirit of God when you have this, this negative view of the old man with the lightning bolts after you? You won't be. So we have to get on the same page with who God has called him to be uh, and, and who we are supposed to be to him. When we try to relate to God in, in church in a skewed way, here's the worst thing, and this is where you're really going to get it. It's cyclical. You begin to think, man, I don't want to go to church because I've done so many bad things. And then you're out of church. You, you don't get any life-giving messages, instruction. You're out here, and then you mess up again, which holds you back from church, which makes you mess up more, right? And we end up finding ourselves in this death spiral, getting out of control, when really you can resonate a lot with God. We, we've, we've got to see God the right way. We've got to see church the right way. Now, I want to give us four ways that people view it, three of which are a little bit jacked. They're, they're the skewed way that people see it. But I want to see where you fall in all of this. And then the fourth way is the, the right way and really the only right way. Uh, jot these down. Many people view God and view church, write it down, as a locked gate. A locked gate. That is to say, uh, there is access, there is a door, but you have to be the person with the key. That it's exclusive, that it's a way. I hear people say, oh, Pastor Joe, you know, you're the pastor, you're the seminary dude, you're ordained by God, you know, you're the grand poobah. We're going to leave all the heavy lifting of the Bible up to you. And what you really mean to say in all of that is, not that I'm so great, but that you're not. You want to diminish yourself. You'd think of yourself as an outsider, that through the gate you might be able to go, but Pastor Joe, I can't go and do any of that. You've got the inside scoop. Listen to me. God doesn't see you as an outsider. That's not how he approaches you. And, and religion has been the thing that's turned this whole thing into a club mentality. So many churches are like clubs or country clubs, and it's wrong. It's one of the reasons why we don't offer membership here at New Chapel. You have to become a partner. That's really more biblical language anyway. It's why we do New Chapel Connect. Today, after the service, 15 minutes after we dismiss, we're going to have lunch and water pop, everything, child care for your kids. Hang around, hear the vision about who we are. If you want to join what we're doing, great. But at least let's meet. And guys, here's what I'm trying to say, is that the country club mentality is so wrong. God does not look at us like outsiders and insiders. Exclusivity is not the currency of the kingdom. Can I hear an amen? God says whoever will, right? God doesn't operate that way. Some of you were taught, especially in western Michigan, that some people were just born 
to be awful, and some were born to be wild. Some were born to be right after God and go to heaven, and some people were destined before they were ever born to go to hell. Some people in the room were taught that. Listen to me. God has not predetermined where you are meant to go. There is nothing over your life, no stamp on your forehead. This is God's done with you. God loves you. God is for you. In fact, your Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come into repentance. Your Bible says that he is not slack concerning his promises and returning, but he's not willing that any should perish. The, the imagery I get is this, because God is the only one that knows when the rapture of the church is going to happen. I picture Jesus on that white horse, and he's just like, he's like going back and forth. He's like, God, is it now? Is it now? Can I go now? And God's like, wait a second, there's a pocket over here. We can get a couple more. This person's ripe for decision. God has not predetermined you to be a person who goes to hell. He knows the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Say amen, somebody. So Jesus did not die to give us some hierarchy questioning who the important people were. Guys, it's not a locked gate. Second paradigm people have, write it down, they view the pile of luggage. And maybe it's not that they view church as luggage, though being in church for a while, I will tell you, luggage, it comes with. But maybe they're looking at their life and some of the things they've done. Oh, Pastor Joe, you don't want me to be serving at the church. You don't want me in the front row. I've been doing some bad things in my past. Some of y'all, you're my Facebook friend, and you forget that. Some of you, some of you don't know. You'd be in buck wild now. Like, and so, you know, though, there was a woman that came up to me, and she said, Pastor Joe, listen. And she was so on fire for God. She was so excited. She said, listen, I'm not going to join the go team. I won't embarrass you. And she was talking about the things that she had done in her past. If you know me, boy, I'm grace and truth in those moments. I said, en contraire, you can't embarrass me. You're surrounded by people that have messed up. You're not an embarrassment to God. You're not an embarrassment to this church. Be empowered by this church to fulfill your call. You know, the Bible says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. As much as you try to run from him, God is right there wherever you go. And so we are that church. Somebody say amen. And, and listen, God intentionally, throughout your Bible, you read it, he used some of the most jacked up people to do some of the most incredible things. Moses, murderer. Great, that escalated quickly. Moses, what do you do? He just killed a guy, you know? I mean, like, but he wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Man of God, a deliverer. How about King David? Oh, my boys love King David. Adulterer. Okay, pervo. Great example for my kids. That's awesome. But yet God uses him. God uses him in an incredible way. The disciples. I mean, these guys were tore back. The Bible says that they were sinners and tax collectors, which you could just put an equal sign in between those two statements. <laughs> tax collector, sinner. The church said, it was quiet. You're afraid they're watching you might up the assessment of your house, <laughs> and they will. I want you to think about Paul the Apostle, this incredible man of God, but even think about how he was called. His name was Saul. He's going to an execution. He was a Pharisee who had to sit over that whole execution as though a judge would sit over a trial, and they watched Stephen become a martyr. 
The Bible says that Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. Only time in your Bible that since the ascension, it says that Jesus was standing. He's normally seated. Why was he standing? Uh, it says very clearly in To Kill a Mockingbird, there's no greater honor that you can give a man but to stand in his presence. And so Jesus was standing at the execution of Stephen, who was a brilliant man, brilliant. The disciples, the Bible says, were ignorant and unlearned men. They were from Croton. But, but Stephen wasn't like that. Stephen was well-learned. He was brilliant. And Paul also was that way, but he was persecuting the church. Well, he goes back home, and on the way home, he goes on the street called Damascus, Jesus Christ knocks him on his blessed assurance and says, Paul, Paul, isn't it hard that you're kicking against your conscience? Paul becomes Paul from being Saul, who's killing Christians on a regular basis. When? After his past? After? No, 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 no. God called him while he was leaving a murder. Hear me now. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Your past doesn't disqualify you. And in fact, what God will do is leverage every little bit of that story, maybe in ways that make you uncomfortable. You might have to make peace with that in order to be a blessing to other people so they don't have to do some of the things you did. Why do you think I come up here and just open up my heart to you every single week? It's because I don't want you to go through some of the hardship that I went through. Amen, somebody? And so God doesn't care about your luggage. He wants to free you from it. So you can be everything he has called you to be. Next thing, write it down. Many view God and his church as a endless ladder. That, okay, I'm in, but I don't know how many levels there are to this pyramid because I, I, gotta, I gotta go to the 800 classes and I gotta memorize these scriptures and I gotta stand in front of the church and give my declaration, proclamation, here we go, you know. Or you gotta stand up, sit down, roll around, going up to the front, back to the front, you know, get all kinds of hand signals without flags, you know. Oh my gosh, when do I get my lightsaber? That's my question, you know. When do we float with our faith? I don't know. That. It's too much. It's an endless ladder, and you'll never be good enough than the hierarchy. Do you see that? Have you ever felt that? I have. See, God doesn't look at your faith as being in that context. I think about a friend of mine. She still goes to this church to this day. Not in this service, as I see, but... She came to our church after her mother had died and after a tragic season in her life relationally. She came in, this was way back when we were at the school and set up teardown. And uh, she was just wonderful, but I could see she was getting a lot out of the messages, a lot out of worship. But that time, my wife, we had no kids. Uh, she was on guest service. She said, man, we need to go after this person. She's great. And I said, listen, don't do it. Just let her sit. She's gone through so much. She needs to come into this place, and she doesn't need to do all the stuff. She needs to worship the Lord and receive from him. She needs to get some encouraging messages, get herself built back up again. You know, I always dreamed of a church where people could do that, where you're going through awful seasons, and you're able to come in here and just get what God has before somebody's like, hey, you want to join the whatever, you know? Like, like truly, Joe... You were like that, weren't you, buddy? God's dealing with you about that right now. You've expressed the gratitude about it. Praise the Lord. You know what's amazing in his case and in other cases, like the one I'm, I'm sharing with you? When you give them some space to let God do his thing, they're on the team quicker than when you try to rah-rah, shish, boom, bomb, and they'll actually stay there. 
Because they're not heard or trying to minister out of a deficit. They're ministering out of an overflow in their life. Can I hear an amen, somebody? And so listen, it's not an endless ladder. Here's the fourth one. It's the correct one, the only correct one. And you can't find a reference in the Bible about salvation or healing or calling your grace without the word free. And that's what it is. It's a free gift. Write that down. One of the great misconceptions that people have about faith is the doing, the the hamster wheel of church or the hamster wheel of works to try to please God, and you can't earn it. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. You can't brag about what a bad boy you are. Well, I am very holy. I, you can't. It's a gift from God. Like, everybody look at me. Surprise! There's a dad joke. It's a gift. I'm serious. And we laugh at those type of things, but think about how often we get caught in the mentality of do more and do more and perform like you're on a stage and God wants to relate to you. You know, not my message notes right now, but the Bible says that God says, he says, judge yourself. Do you know that that's the highest form of relationship? In other words, he doesn't want to deal with you on the basis of your sin. If all you talk to God about is how badly you screwed up, you really aren't there yet. I mean, just talk to him. You judge yourself. You deal with yourself. You find the sin in your life, you you bring it to him and deal with it. He wants to relate to you as a son and daughter of God. i got to move on. The me of 16 or 17 years ago, if you were to talk to anybody that knows me in that time, They would never tell you that I would be a senior pastor at a church serving in ministry, that I'd been faithful to it, I'd I'd had one marriage. They wouldn't have thought that in a thousand years. In fact, in last service, sitting right over where you are, John, was Tori Grunwell, who I went to school from kindergarten all the way through. And uh, I'm encouraged by her story because one of the reasons why she thinks she can do it is because God can do it through Joe Bevilacqua, my Lanta. There's hope for all of us. And I asked her, right in the middle of the service, I said, did you ever see me doing this? And she started laughing, no. She could hardly get no out. I said, easy. You know, you could have just said no and all of that. But, but think about that. I mean, truly. And yet, look at what God has done in my life. I marvel sometimes when I drive onto this property and I look around. I'm like, wait a second. I'm a pastor? They gave me a license to do this? This is amazing. And, and, and why? Because God is gracious. He didn't hold the junk that I did in my past against me. He encouraged me to become everything that I could be in Jesus. That's what Paul wrote about later after his conversion in 1 Peter chapter 1. I thank Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. He considered me faithful. Underline that in your Bible. He did. He considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Listen, you're not faithful, but he is faithful, and so he calls you faithful. You might not have all the gifts and talents you think you need to get that call done. You know what? He's got a lot of gifts, and he can grace you any way that he needs to to get the call done. No, you're not righteous, but he gifts you his righteousness. So you're not a rank sinner anymore. Don't call yourself that when you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus on your life. Can I hear an amen, somebody? And so my prayer is that you'd get past the incorrect views of God in church and that you'd see yourself 
the way that God sees you. Can I hear an amen? amen? Acts chapter 10, out of the message, it says this in verse 35. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. Notice it doesn't say if you come from the right pedigree, if you have a whole bunch of preachers in your family. You know who's a preacher in my family? Nil. Nobody. Nobody with a Bevelacqua name is preaching the gospel. They're drinking wine, okay? Like we Italian, okay? And look at out of the middle of nowhere, God called me. It's only because I had a yes in my heart. And so you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have the perfect past. You have to say yes to Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen. And I'm personally asking you to help me make a difference in this world. I'm asking for your dream, your visions, your potential, and your gifts that you would flood them into this house. I always dreamed of pastoring a church that the greatest ministry was not what happened up here in the pulpit. It happened through the people. That that was when we actually took ground. I'm asking for your help to change the world. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Are you, are you with me? We can do it together. It makes me think of my friend Lisa. She was here during last service, and gosh, she just loved me calling her out in front of everybody. But Lisa DeBoer is an incredible person, and she's a normal person like you or I. But she came up and said, Pastor Joe, I've heard you talking about a trunk or tree, and you need to stop talking about it. We'll do it. Wait, wait a second. What are you talking about? Yeah, I got it. And so they just did it. And they made it happen. How many of y'all were here when five, 600 people were on the campus of New Chapel just for our trunk tree? Isn't that amazing? It, it, it was awesome. And who was it? It was Lisa, normal Lisa, who just lives right down the road. And, and, and she's like, I have a gift of administration. I'm going to use that. How many of y'all love driving to freedom? Wasn't that amazing? Well, Lisa was behind the scenes. Now, yes, we got a whole lot of other gifts together. I think about you, Jackie, and other people that were on that team with, with the Servants Heart Group, and we were able to plan that. It's not because the staff. It was because of normal, everyday people doing their part to make the, the difference, make the influence. That's the dream of Christianity. It's not... The dude only, and everybody's to get behind my vision and my next book and my next thing. There will be books. There will be things. There will be vision. But it's all of us together. You, it's grassroots. It's bottom up. That's what Scripture says in Ephesians 3 when it says, I pray, Paul prays this, from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then you'll be complete. Have the fullness of life. The power that comes from God. When is your life going to be full? It's when you're empowered to use your gifts and talents in the house of God. What's the meaning of life? There it is, everybody. So I want to give you three things to jot down before we leave. Three thoughts, simple statements. Number one, what do we do with all this? Let's receive his love. Well, what does that have to do with it, Pastor Joe? Just as soon as he talks about you being empowered, living this full life, this is what it says in verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, long, high, deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. God loves you. God is for you. If you were the only one he could die for, God is for you. And many of us in the room, you know about the love of God but you haven't received his love in his affirmation, in his grace in your life. 
you put yourself down in order to magnify God. The Bible says magnify the Lord. It doesn't say you need to put yourself down to do that. He gives you your worth. He gives you the call. We need to focus on the God that does that. You can do this. Number two, let's know our worth, our true worth. Write that down. Let's begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. We look at our past, we look at the problems that we faced in our life, and we make that the thing that we, we align our life with in the current and in the future. And you can't do that any longer. We need to begin to embrace the fact that God says I'm valuable, so I am. I just have to accept it. I can't fight against it. It's not my righteousness. My righteousness is as a filthy rags. But he gave me his, and so I'm not going to diminish that anymore. I'm going to live this thing out. How do you know that something is valuable? You judge that based on the price that was paid for it. And God sent his best. Some of you guys look at yourself as worms. You hate yourself for some of the things that you've done, the mistakes that you made. And listen, the mistakes might be bona fide, awful, bonehead decisions. You might have really hurt people. There might be a fallout behind you of wounded people. But listen to me. God still loves you. And as long as you are casting air into those lungs, drawing breath, he still has forgiveness and purpose for you. He's not done with you. You'll know that when you wake up in eternity. And so hear me, gang. You have to understand that God wants to see us through it all, that he wants to bring us back to our original attempt, that, that original way that he made us to be, our original specifications. And whatever your mess was, he wants to leverage it for him. God sees value in your potential. First Peter chapter 2, this is key. The Bible says this, that you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's New Testament, everybody. Oh, I'm just a worm. I'm, I'm, just my, I'm, I'm filthy rat. No, no, no. You are a royal priesthood. You are royalty in heaven. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Don't look at yourself as less than who God has called you. Don't take issue with God on who your identity is in him. Can I hear an amen? We have to realize that God's called us to great things. Now, that clears up that whole concept of the Old Testament where only the Levites were priests. You're a priest, and the only mediator between you and God is Jesus. It continues on. You're a royal priesthood that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Again, that's the purpose. He's called you to be this great person, gifted and empowered by God. You're called to be empowered by your church, and you are. Why? To go make a dent in hell. To go rock the devil's world. To go make, make an impact on those people outside of these walls that are hurting. And do it for Jesus. So listen, we need to understand that God loves us. We need to understand our worth. And then number three, write this down, huge. Let's do it. Let's fulfill our purpose. No time like the present. What, what is the next step God's put in front of you? Okay, let's do it. Let's fulfill that thing. In these last days, and that's where we're at, the only way for the church, the only way for the church global to take the ground that God has called us to is if everybody in this room, every one of us, I'm looking at everybody, if we all find out who God made us to be and accept that purpose and begin to serve to see this whole thing wrap up the right way. We're getting along all right without you. I'll tell you, it'd be a lot easier with you. 
because you have something that this world needs, a gift, a talent, a purpose from God that can make an impact on this world. One more scripture, and I want to pray for us. Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. By the way, look at me. That's why I need you to dream because God has bigger things than the biggest thing you could dream. Wow. According to his power that is in work within who? Us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And a grateful church said... By your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for meeting us in this place, that God purpose is ringing in this room, that people are being drawn this month towards something greater, that God, this is a church who is empowered, empowered, that it's not the genius and a thousand helpers, that you have put gifts and talents and, and, and callings into your kids. And God, I ask that you'd reveal it to your kids now and begin to draw it out. Show them next steps that they can take so that all of us together can make a difference. So the saints can do this ministry so that we can lead this thing on into your second coming. God, I thank you that you are ministering truth to people in this room and those that are watching online. And Lord, if there's anybody in this place, in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus, he brokered peace between you and God. All you have to do is stop trying to be the God over your own life and give it to him. When you make Jesus Lord, the Bible said you'll be saved. So I want us to pray this prayer out loud, loud and proud. Everybody say this with me, even church. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. Receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name. Amen, somebody. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Now. I want to welcome down our elementary classroom. You guys want to come down and then listen, if you're a parent of one of these kids, I want you to meet your kids down here all the way down at the altar. I told you over the last several weeks, I wanted to pray for our kids as they go back to school, whether that is college, they're going back to school, or if you're a professor, a teacher, faculty. So listen to me, if you're in the sound of my voice right now and you're a teacher, faculty, anybody like that, I'm calling you down right now. Well, I just work at a daycare. Praise the Lord, that's you. I see that hand may have another. Anybody involved in school, you work at a school, or if you're a student, and can we give it up for these awesome looking kids down here? How awesome. Very cool, very cool. Hey, I want to do this a little different than last service. Uh, could everybody down here, could y'all look at me for a second? Listen, your parents love you. And for those of you that are teachers and faculty, we love you. And the world has done lost its mind. I want you to respect and honor authority in your life. You can oppose people and respect them. Come on, Bevelacquas. But I want you to be respectful. You're going into a time where we need our Christian kids to go be a light to this world. 
And for the teachers and administrators and staff, thank you. I want to pray for all of us. School isn't changing. It's changed. It's different than when you left for summer break. And I believe that it's the church that's going to be a light in our schools to show people the godly way. I want to pray for you that you'll find the right friends and the right support system. So if you'd be willing, all of our elementary people, to close your eyes. Parents, you can lay your hands on your kids. Teachers and administrators, I want to pray for you too. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these people that are called to raise up a generation. God, I thank you that they're willing to be patient and love on people, the little ones, God. Lord, I thank you that you'll make their tongue the pen of a ready writer. God, you'll help them to take a stand where they need to. God, I pray for the next generation right now. Lord, I thank you for these gifts from God. Lord, I thank you that these are mighty men and mighty women of God. And Lord, when they go to school, I thank you that they're going in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for the gifts and callings of God being revealed at a young age, much younger than me. God, I thank you and I praise you that they won't have to go through some of the things that we went through. God, I thank you for freedom. Lord, I thank you that when they go into these schools that they're going to be a witness and be able to talk about Jesus. Lord, I thank you that people will know that they're Christians just by what's on their life. Lord, I thank you for a holy boldness to rise up in my college students, that when they go to all of these professors that are so well-educated in academia, that they can be able to stand before them and say, I know God. Lord, I thank you for a strength in their faith. Lord, I thank you that these kids are going to go in and be bold enough. If they got to pray, they're going to pray. If they're going to read, they're going to read. But God, I thank you in all that they do, that you'd bring the right people in. Lord, I thank you for the right friendships. I pray that you keep bullies away from them. God, I pray that they wouldn't be bullies. Lord, I pray right now for these young people, especially God. Lord, I thank you that you bring the right friends that are going to be lifelong good influences. And any of those bad kids, we're going to reach them when we get a little older, but it ain't for now. Keep them away from our kids in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for a boldness in these parents when they see bad relationships to step in and choose their kids' friends. Lord, I thank you when we do that, we're going to raise up a godly generation. If the Lord tarries, these will be the next leaders of our churches and our homes. God, I bless the teachers, the faculty, the parents, the college students, and the staff in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, give it up for these awesome people. Now, parents, what I'm going to have all of your elementary kids do is follow Miss Naya. She's going to raise her hand over there. Kids, follow her. You're going to check your kids out just like normal. We want to make sure everything is as secure as anything. And can we give it up for these awesome, handsome, pretty-looking kids? One more time, louder than that. Give it up for them, gang. Church, you can stand up on your feet all over this place. Did y'all get anything out of this uh, message today, the service? y'all get anything out of this? Yeah. Hey, uh, I invite you back for next week. I'm excited about where this series is going. And bring somebody with you. I think that it's going to be an exciting time through church in the wild. That's who you're called to be. Uh, let me pray for us before we get out to the rest of our weekend. If you have a need in your spirit, soul, or body, don't leave this place without getting prayer down at the front. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And as you go, I love you. 
We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.